0: amen amen Lord, we long for the day we will be able to just worship you forevermore and lord i just pray as we go to your word that lord you'd be our teacher give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning lord as we look at a topic in your text lord that we all deal with the issue of forgiveness lord i pray that you just minister to our hearts For holding bitterness in our hearts, if there's people we need to forgive, if there's people we need to go to and ask for forgiveness, Lord, we pray that through your word, Lord, you would open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to reach out in faithful obedience to what you've called us to do. We love you and we praise you. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Go ahead and grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philemon. We finished Titus last week. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. We go through the New Testament on Sunday morning and the Old Testament on Wednesday night. We're currently in 1 Samuel. Uh, The next chapter we'll be looking at will be 1 Samuel 19. So if you want to read ahead. Let me give you some background. Uh, This Philemon is a letter. It's an epistle. And much like the other Pauline epistles, they are written usually with a group of people in mind. And while this was certainly circulated through a group of people, it was really written to one individual. This is actually the shortest of all of Paul's letters. It's just one chapter. We're going to look at all of it this morning. And just to give you some background, we need to know that this letter was written to a man by the name of Philemon. That's why it's called Philemon. Written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written while he was in prison. And there are four what they call prison epistles. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Now, it's important to note that Colossians and Philip and Philemon were delivered together. They were actually brought in the hands of Tychicus and Onesimus, and they were delivered to the church in Colossae at the exact same time. The reason I want to point that out is I want to take a couple of minutes just to give you again some background on what was happening in Colossae because I think it's significant. Now know that whenever there's a letter written, he wrote the letters for a purpose. Galatians, he wrote to refute false teaching, false gospel, the gospel of works, that we're saved by our works. It's how many much works we do that determines whether or not we're saved. He wrote Ephesians to encourage the believers to walk in spiritual maturity. They were Born again, but they were still living like they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so he spoke to them about their riches in Christ. Philippians, he wrote to them about the lack of unity within the church. He encouraged them. The main topic of the book of Philippians is joy. And then when you come to Colossians, this is the city where, again, Philemon lived. And the church in that city he hosted in his home. So he was a leader within the church in Colossae, so it's important that we understand what's happening in that city when this letter is being written. There was a growing heresy within the church in Colossae. The heresy was that you had to combine, there was, they would take Christianity and add a bunch of things to it to say this is what really needs to happen for you to be saved to truly have a relationship with God. They were mixing Christianity, Paganism, Gnosticism, which is the pursuit of knowledge, Judaism, and Mysticism, and and blending it all together into one religion. And they were saying that that was truly what Christianity was. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Because we live in a time right now where people are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and adding things to it, and when you add to it, it is no longer the gospel, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We are born again through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full, to talesti, and aren't you glad? But what we see is in those days, just much like today, one of the things that happened was he started, well, you have to keep a certain diet. And you have to, you know, they started worshiping angels. And they taught that only those who had this heavier pursuit of knowledge knew the real truth. And so what was happening again was there's all these layers of things getting between people and a relationship with God. And it was no longer the gospel. And the answer in the book of Colossians was, how did he refute that? Well, it says in that, that letter, that's four chapters long, it says, In Christ, 26 times, And in the Lord seven times. Because the answer, when people get off track, is to get them back with their eyes on Jesus Christ. Amen? When we get off off track, we start adding to the gospel, we start adding things to the word of God. We need to be reminded to get back to the simple truth of the gospel. I was just watching something on TV a few weeks back and it was so sad. They had all these religious leaders sitting there, all of them claiming to be Christians and only one of them would say that Jesus was the only way. Only one of them. These were leaders in different denominations. Some of them saying, well, Christianity is the way for me, but I believe that they can get there through Muhammad or through Buddha. You know, maybe it's just different. My God's big enough to encompass all of these religions. Man, your God doesn't exist. Because the truth is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. He's the only hope for a lost and dying world. And it's not being inclusive. It is actually denying the truth of the gospel. And it says in the word of God, if you add to the gospel, let that person be accursed. Accursed if you add to the word of God, if you add to the gospel. And so that's what was happening in Colossians. so here's the man who is got the church meeting in his home. And, and, the, and so he's a leader within the church. And so when the letter to the Colossian church encouraging them to get their eyes back on Christ is delivered, so too this other letter comes by the hands of Tychicus and a man by the name of Onesimus. And they hand this letter to Philemon. Now, what's interesting about this is that Part of what Colossians, the letter, is all about is telling them that they need to not only believe what the word says, but live it. And that's exactly what's going to happen with Philemon. He's going to be instructed to act out his faith, to not just have a belief in his head, but have it lived out. And it's going to be very difficult circumstances that he's going to be put in. Very tough situation for this man. Now let me tell you a little bit about Philemon, and then we'll get into the text. We know that, as I said, he lives in Colossae, he's a believer in the Lord, he hosts the church meetings in his home, which means he was more than likely a wealthy man to have a church a house large enough. We also know that he owned slaves, we're going to see that in the text. Now it's important to note that in those days, in Rome, almost half of the people were slaves, as, as many as 60 million slaves. And they would become slaves in many different ways. They have a debt they couldn't pay off. Uh, Maybe they were born to parents who were slaves that are automatically a slave. And this was the labor force of most of the more wealthy people. And so this man was, was wealthy because he owned slaves. He had a house large enough to have the church meeting there. He was also led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. So Paul had a relationship with this man. Paul is sitting a great distance away in prison under house arrest, and he writes this letter not only to the Colossian church, but he writes a specific letter to Philemon, and we're going to see the content of that as we go through the text this morning. You know what? He's, again, going to exhort this man to live out his Christian faith, and as Christians today, again, this is a a short book, but it's got so much application for us 2,000 years later. It addresses a huge problem that still exists in this room right now, and it's the problem of practicing biblical forgiveness let me say that again we need to practice biblical forgiveness here's the problem today we have we've all got a loophole as to why we don't need to forgive we've all got extenuating circumstances as to why we don't need to ask for forgiveness and i believe there's few things that satan loves more than to have brothers and sisters in christ fighting with each other bringing division within the body of Christ. I am sometimes baffled I will sit across the table from people that have been married, that are going through a divorce, they're both Christians, they both love God, and they won't forgive each other. That is sin. If you're here today and you've got somebody that you need to, may the Lord pierce every one of our hearts. And let me just tell you that as I was studying this the last four days, God was piercing my heart about people I may need to give a phone call to. So don't feel like I'm preaching at you. I'm talking with you. And as Christians, we need to let our pride go. Amen? And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and stop being worried about how we look or how we appear and humble ourselves. And that's really what this letter is all about. Because when you have embittered Christians, you have a blown testimony and the cause of Christ is harmed. And you know what? And and the last thing... Before we look at the text, and I'm not going to read it, but look at it later. Go to Matthew 18 later and look at verses 21 through 35. And just quickly, the story there, if you remember, there was a man who had a great debt. Some have said the equivalence of millions of dollars today. And he went and threw himself at the mercy of his master, and his master forgave him and and forgave him this huge debt he never could have paid back in 20 lifetimes, the punishment for which would have been imprisonment for life until he paid it back, which would have been impossible. And that same man, having been forgiven, goes and finds a man who owes him tip money. Owes him a small amount of money and can't pay him back. He then takes that man and has him beaten and then puts him in prison and says that he won't be let out until he pays back that entire debt. Then the master finds out that this man who has been forgiven a great deal is unwilling to forgive someone very much less. And you know what happens? He takes him and throws him into prison and has him beaten and he stays there and he can never pay the debt back. What a picture that is for every one of us in this room because we've been forgiven much, amen? More than we ever could have paid back in a lifetime, in a hundred lifetime, impossible. We couldn't have paid it back. We are to forgive others as Christ forgives us. And so he has forgiven us much. And whatever anybody's done to you is nothing in comparison to what we've done against the Lord in our sin and in our lives. Amen? It's nothing in comparison. So we've been forgiven a great deal. We need to be willing to reach out to those who have done so much less. So we're going to see three main characters Onesimus, the man seeking forgiveness, Philemon, the one being asked to forgive, and then Paul the one who is fully invested in bringing restoration between these men. And and just as a way of review, again, we'll go into verse 1 now, but I want to say this. Just so you know, what had happened is Onesimus was a slave who was owned by Philemon. He ran away. And when he ran away, he took some stuff with him. And so he stole from his master and he ran away. In those days... A slave's value was about a year and a half's wages for a common worker and could be a lot more than that if he was a skilled slave. We might all say, well, we don't believe in slavery. Of course we don't. That's absolutely true. We don't believe in it. But at the same time, the Word of God doesn't ever try to change society. Its desire is to change men's hearts because that will change society. Amen? Amen? We don't try to regulate holiness. We want to see people get saved and then everything will change. If there was revival, we wouldn't have to outlaw abortion. People would stop having them. If there was revival, we wouldn't have to close down the liquor stores. Everybody would stop shopping there, and they'd all go out of business. Amen? And that's how it starts. And so here we see... This man has run away, he's taken things with him, he's still, and what I love about God is he's so great, because he runs away and he goes to hide in Rome amongst all the huge crowd of people, let me get away from Colossae, let me go hide in Rome, no one will ever find me there, and he runs into the Apostle Paul, and I love God how he does stuff like that, Amen? And the man ends up getting saved, he's been born again now, and now going back could mean that he's going to die. Because if you ran away as a slave, your master could have you put to death. He could have you put to death any time he wanted to anyway. But if you ran away, he definitely could have you killed. And so now here's Onesimus, forgiven, born again, he's with Paul, what in the world is he going to do? If I go back, he may kill me. But I've repented. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I don't have to go back and deal with that anymore. Do I? Uh, Yes, you do. Amen? So let's, if you're a note taker, let me give you the outline for this morning's text. Title of the message is, Forgiving Others as Christ Forgave You. Forgiving Others as Christ Forgave You. Number one, we're going to see these examples that we see in Paul. He really is a picture of Christ to me in this entire chapter. And so we're going to look at this from the perspective of the Apostle Paul and the things that he does that really are an example of what Christ has done for us. Number one, we see his focus is on others, not himself. Number two, we see that that he encourages the faithful. Number three, he intercedes on behalf of the repentant. And finally, he's willing to pay the price to bring about restoration and forgiveness. So I know it's up on the screen there. You can catch up. Let's begin in verse 1. Looking at forgiving others as Christ forgave you. Again, a picture of all that Christ did. We see that example in the Apostle Paul. Now look what it says there in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Now, I know that every time we go to a new letter, I tell you this, but every time we go to a new letter, he does it. So I'm going to tell you again. Remember, it said last week in verse one, remind them. So it's a biblical concept to remind you. All right. Now, it says, Paul, a prisoner. Now, Paul, whenever they wrote a letter, the ancient way that they wrote the letter is they always wrote who was writing the letter first. You got to remember, they wrote on scrolls. They wouldn't write it at the very end. Otherwise, you have to unroll the entire scroll to find out who wrote to you. They didn't have a return address on the envelope or anything like that. So they would always begin like who, was, who the author of the letter was. Then he would give some kind of a greeting as well as talk about who the letter was being written to. So he introduces himself first, then addresses the one he's writing to. He greets them. He offers thanksgiving, kind of like we do now. You, when you write somebody, you, you say, dear so-and-so, and usually you start off with, hey, how's it going? How have you been? How are things?" And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does here. But notice how he introduces himself. He gives his name. He's writing to a, a letter to a guy who he led to the Lord. So this is a man who knows him very well, one of his sons in the faith. But yet, even as he writes to him, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now what I love about this, he doesn't say a prisoner of Rome. Because the Apostle Paul had an eternal perspective and he knew he was not a prisoner of Rome. Because the Romans couldn't keep him there one second longer than the Lord wanted him to be there. And so when we're going through difficulties and trials in our lives, we need to understand that God is the one who is in control. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He sees things from an eternal perspective. He knows that he's there by the sovereign will of God. And again, he wasn't there because he had broken the law. He was there because he'd simply be, been walking in faithful obedience to the Lord. Now, I will say this, just briefly. There is a difference between you being in jail because you broke the law and you being persecuted for your faith. Amen? Now, it doesn't mean God can't use you in prison either way, because of course he can. But in one case, it's a consequence of sin, and one, it's the result of faithful obedience. And Paul is in prison because he's obeying God. And he knows that he's only there because God allowed it. So he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And again... You and I, when we go through trials and difficulties of life, we need to remember that God is indeed in control. And He is indeed faithful. You might wonder, why would Paul be in prison? Wouldn't it make more sense for the the most prolific evangelist of the day for him to not be in prison? Wouldn't it make more sense for him to be out sharing his faith everywhere he went? Well, if he was, we would not be reading this letter this morning. You know, God allowed him to be in prison to slow that brother down. Amen? I mean, the Apostle Paul was, you know, everywhere he went, he started a revival or a riot. So he was running to people or from people pretty much all of the time. And, you know, you can't really write a letter while you're running. So the Lord just said, you know, let's just have you in prison for a while. And you can write four letters that people will be reading by the power, you know, that the Holy Spirit is writing through your hand until I come back. And so praise God that he was in prison. Amen? Amen? Or we would not be reading this letter this morning. You and I may find ourselves in a mess, even as we faithfully serve him. And my prayer is that the Lord will show us from an eternal perspective that every time we go through a trial, it's an opportunity for ministry and an opportunity to glorify his name. God is in control. You and I should not be stressing about the circumstances. God did not fall asleep. He didn't forget. He didn't take his eyes off of you. You are his treasured possession. His eyes are always on you. Then it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So this is Paul's other son in the faith. We know a lot about Timothy. We just read his, the first and second Timothy, both of those letters recently. And I love that Paul most often traveled with a ministry team. And I think this is an important example for all of us to learn. The Christianity is not for the lone ranger. You know, the Lord sent men out two by two. I think it's important that we have others that hold up our hands and keep us accountable and that we do ministry with. Isolation is what the enemy wants to do to get us away from accountability, get us away from fellowship. So he names his co-laborers. Now, Most people, we don't know for sure whether Timothy was in prison or just hanging out there keeping Paul company. We don't know. We do know Timothy was in prison with him many times. He may have been in prison with him here. We also know in this case he was under house arrest and he was able to have visitors and it may very well be that Timothy was just there to be his companion. So it's from Paul and it says, To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer the the word philemon means affectionate or one who is kind and his kindness is going to be tested this morning he is a man who is kind You, you know you meet people that are really kind and loving and gracious but you know what everybody unless the holy spirit grabs a hold of their heart has a boiling point and they can be really kind to a certain place and then they lose it You know what? And that's why we must always be desperate for the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit never loses it. But we see that his name means affection. But look at this description of him, beloved friend and fellow laborer. What a great description for a man, a beloved friend and a fellow laborer, especially when it comes from a godly man like Paul. Paul had led this man to the Lord and he counted him as a beloved friend. Fellow laborer means that he is a man who is faithful in his calling to the ministry. In his case, he is hosting the church in his home. Again, he has that gift of hospitality. Then it says to the beloved Aphia. Now Aphia is more than likely Philemon's wife. So he writes the letter to Philemon and to Philemon's wife and then it says archipas our fellow soldier and to the church in your house most people believe that Archippus was the pastor in colossi and was more than likely the son of philemon so this is a pretty godly family they're hosting church in their home the son is the pastor more than likely the father and the mother are the host to bring people in They're leaders in the body and now their faith is going to be put to the test as this letter comes back As now, okay, here's your faith, let's put feet to it. Again, without a test, there can be no testimony. Until people see your faith in the fire, it means nothing. That's when we find out how how deep our faith really is. And we're going to see it now in this precious family. Again, these these fruit of Paul's ministry, these people that are precious to him. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the lord jesus christ again every time we see this i remind you again because what pastor david it's in every letter do you have to tell us what these words mean every time yes because they're in the bible every time amen Amen. so he didn't just say well like the other greetings if he did then we'd go by it but he doesn't do that the word grace is charis which is a greek or gentile greeting grace That's what they would say when they would meet each other on the road. Grace. May God give you a day greater than you deserve. That's basically what it means. Grace. Then peace. The word peace there is shalom. This is the Jewish greeting. So, the Gentile greeting and the Jewish greeting. Grace and peace. And as we've talked about many times before, they are always in this order. Why? Because without grace, there can be no peace. Amen? Grace must always come first. It's God's riches at Christ's expense that bring us peace in our lives. How much peace would you have if your relationship with God was based on how good you're doing? You'd you'd never have any peace. A lot of people try to make God a holy Santa Claus in the sky, right? Tell God what they want. Uh -uh. Aren't you glad he's not Santa Claus? He's checking his list, right, right? going to find out who's naughty or nice oh everyone on the naughty list right everyone i'm so glad he's not santa claus amen so much greater here's the point he sees us through the shed blood of his son forgiven that's who we are in the eyes of our savior and it's through his grace that we have peace and we can have peace in our lives you know because again if it's based on our works every time we blow it haven't you done this Am I the only one that you like to have distance between the amount of time from when you sinned greatly? Like you feel like it's better? What well, it was a week ago. It's not too bad. Am I the only one that ever thinks like that? You know, if you blew it an hour ago, you just walk around kicking your... Now, God's forgiven you, and the enemy's condemning you, but you're kind of glad when it's been four months ago. I haven't, I haven't blown my... I haven't blown my temper in four months i feel pretty good about but here's the point whether it was an hour a week a month or a year ago our sin must be paid for and that debt cannot go unchecked and grace says paid in full and so because of god's grace you and i can have peace whether we sinned a hundred years ago five minutes ago and again we should walk in holiness we should not take sin lightly but praise god that we are forgiven and praise god he doesn't have a list where he checks it twice, praise God. He looks at the name, our name and sees us sh- through the shed blood of our Savior. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is love given at a cost. What did it cost the Father to extend grace to you? He had to send His Son to die. What did it cost the Son to extend grace to you? He came and suffered and died in your place. So when it says grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, don't just read by that and act like that's not a big deal. That is a huge deal. Amen? amen. The grace came from what they did in our place that you and I might have eternal life. Now what I love about this, there's the greeting. Notice that Paul is in prison and his focus is not on himself Or his circumstances, but on ministering to those he's writing to. We're gonna read through this entire letter and you will basically forget that he's in prison. Why? Because his whole passion is to minister to others, not complain about his circumstances. This is absolutely a picture of our Savior. When Jesus came, he took on humanity. He went through so much difficulty in this life, so many trials and temptations and mockings and beatings. And you know what? His focus was always on reaching the lost. And this is Paul's heart. He's writing this letter and he doesn't say, how come you haven't rescued me? Where are you people? Didn't I say, get over here, man. You're, you're dropping the ball. Aren't you? You got a lot of money. God's blessed you. Hire some people. Get down here. He doesn't do any of that. What he does instead is encourages him. And exhorts him. And prepares him for the fact that he's going to have an opportunity to show forgiveness. So forgive others as Christ forgave you. We see a clear picture of Christ in Paul. First on his focus being on others, not himself. Not his own trials. Number two, he encourages the faithful. Look what he says in verse 4. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. Notice that Paul never thanks a man for his good works. Ever. He doesn't say, I thank you Philemon for being such a spiritual stud. He's really blessed by you, man. You know what he says? I thank my God that he's using you. I thank my God that there's fruit in your life. And what we need to be doing is not thanking man, but thanking God that he is faithful to use even people like us. Amen? Amen? because when we thank god it keeps the focus where it needs to be on god the passion the focus all of it needs to be on him it keeps us humble which is where we need to stay he doesn't thank philemon he's always thanking god for any good he sees in any man then he says making mention of you always in my prayers you know paul was a man of prayer I've never done this, but I'd love to go through the Bible sometime and just write down all the names of all the people he ever said he was praying for. It would be a long list, I can tell you that. And I guarantee you there's a lot of other people he was praying for that aren't even written down. Now, here's another reason why he might be in prison. This guy's got a lot of people to pray for. And when you're in prison, you've got a lot of time in your hands, right? You know, sometimes people will say, I don't understand why, you know, years ago... Uh, I, hurt, I hurt my neck really bad. I actually hurt it playing football in college and it didn't show up until many years later and I had to walk around in like a, a neck brace for like six weeks. I couldn't drive. I couldn't do anything. It was this big old brace. I just moved around like this. I couldn't sleep in my bed. I couldn't, I'll tell you what, I've never prayed so much in my life. I didn't have to go to work. I mean, I, had one, I mean, I could just sit and read my Bible and pray all day long. Couldn't go to work. I had no, you know, praise God sometimes. God needs to slow us down and make us immobile so we can only spend time with Him. Amen? So here's the Apostle Paul. When he says he's praying, this brother doesn't just say it. He means it. Amen? Amen. Now, has anybody else here ever said, I'm praying for you and you haven't really done it? I'll pray for you, bro. You know what I do? If you ask me to pray for you, most of the time, I will put my hand on your shoulder and pray right then. You know why? Because I don't want to forget later. Amen? Amen? You say, can you pray for me? Absolutely, dear Heavenly Father. That's the good way. You know what? Good thing to do, just start praying. Now, hopefully I pray for you again later. If you're in the church directory, I go through that every week and pray for everybody in there. But if you're not, well, you should have got your picture taken. Try to remember to pray for you, but out of sight, out of mind. No, I love you guys. You know that. So here's Paul and how can he still be effective in ministry when he's sitting in prison how can he still have an impact on corinth and ephesus and Colossae while being locked up you know what it's so great when we pray here god hears our prayers and it impacts ministry a world away you can pray for the missionaries you support in gospel for asia and india and god hears those prayers and they have fruit amen so while you may not be able to travel to nepal you can pray and God hears your prayers, and that's what Paul's confined at the moment. But God hears his prayers; He doesn't stop doing ministry. I love this about the Apostle Paul: there's never an excuse for why he can't do ministry. But yet, most of the church today, we're, we're, as, as Pastor Bill would say, we're bags of excuses. We really are. Well, I would do it, but I got this thing, and I got another thing, and a thing, and, and when we're just we're always just so busy for God. I'm glad He wasn't too busy to go to the cross. Amen? I'm glad he wasn't too busy for me. May we not be too busy for him. Then it says, I thank my God, making mention of you in my prayers, always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. What he thanks God for in Philemon's life is his love and faith in the Lord. You know, as somebody who had led him to the Lord Can you imagine how it must have felt for Paul to hear that Philemon was doing well? The word comes back. Remember that guy Philemon you led to? You know what? He's on fire, man. He's got a church in his house. He's he's in love with the Lord and it's seen in the way that he loves God and the way that he loves people. And Paul just praying, oh, thank you, Lord, that you're using this young man. Thank you, Lord. And now his son is in the ministry. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's so excited. I'll tell you, one of the greatest blessings I get, every once in a while I'll get a call from a kid, that was in my, and this will date me a little bit, a kid that was in my youth group 15 years ago. And they'll tell me they're doing ministry and, you know, and their kid's graduating from high school. That's scary. But, you know, but they'll call you up and just, you know, I haven't had them in youth ministry in so long, and they're grown and they're walking with God, and sometimes I hang up the phone and I just weep. I think, Lord, thank you. You, know, you did all of it, but what a blessing. And this is how the Apostle Paul feels as he writes about this man Philemon. He had led him to the Lord. God did all the work, but he sees his love toward others, his love for God, his love for the saints. And Paul is praying for his co-laborers in Christ. And notice this, he's not jealous. I love this. Couldn't Paul have been jealous? You know, Philemon's got a church, he's got a big house. He's got a big house, he's got a bunch of slaves working for him he's got all this money you know what i mean and i'm sitting in prison what's up with that how come i don't get blessed like him and i know i've talked to some of you i've heard some of you talk like that i've heard some of you oh i I just want to be blessed how come i can't just be blessed one time you know let me be blessed and see how i do with it right (laughs) guys we need to measure blessings from an eternal perspective not a physical one and the truth is, the apostle Paul was used so mightily by God because he didn't care about the physical stuff. And so he wasn't you know, envious. He wasn't jealous. And you know what? We too, like Philemon, should be known for our love for the Lord and our love for one another. Amen. Bible says, may they know they shall know us by the love we have one for another. Philemon's love and faith about to be put to test, but how he responds to the one who wronged him, we're going to see where his heart really is. Because it says there is love toward the Lord and all the saints. All the saints. You know what? He had a lot of slaves. I believe he was praying for their salvation. I don't think that's a stretch to believe that. He wanted them to be saved. Well, guess what? One of his slaves got saved, but he ran away first. So let's see how he responds. Look at verse seven, 6. That sharing your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Jesus. The word effective there can also be translated powerful. That the sharing of your faith may become powerful by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You know what? Your faith will have an impact on those around you if you're living a sold out and set apart walk. You know, if people see Jesus in your walk, then your words have a greater impact. If people can look and see how you're living, It will become much more powerful if you're walking in holiness before the Lord. Godly actions give God glory. And you know what? We need to have godly actions. Christ in you, seen by your love, your faith, and the actions that you portray at work and in your home, knowing that any good in you comes from Christ, it allows you to be used even more mightily by Him. The world is watching. They've seen your good works. And they'll be watching to see how you respond. He's saying this to Philemon. They've seen your good works, Philemon. They've been blessed by who you are. And Philemon, when I get to the next few verses and tell you who's coming back, they're going to be watching too. So get ready. They're watching when everything is, you're on the cruise ship to heaven, but how are you going to handle when the plane starts to crash? When the difficulties come? When the waves start pitching up? You've been a good witness in the church and before the world. Your faith and testimony is about to be put to the test, Philemon. Verse 7 For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. What great words of encouragement! coming from the man who had led him to the Lord, who's sitting in prison, and writes to him and tells him, you know, you have a great testimony. The joy of the Lord is seen in your life. And you know what? You're, you refresh people by just being around them. You know, the man of God that you are refreshes people when they just come into contact with you. Wouldn't you love to have that testimony? That people would spend time with you and walk away refreshed and encouraged and built up in their faith. For that to happen, we have to obey what we looked at last week, uh, to speak evil of no one. Amen? You know, it says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And when you're around somebody who's on fire for God and is filled with the Holy Spirit and they're ministering to you, it refreshes you. It's like, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's pouring out and you're, you're getting splashed, right? And you walk away refreshed and walk away encouraged and strengthened in your walk. And Paul is encouraging this faithful man, telling him he is the source of faith and love and joy and comfort and refreshing to others, just as the Lord by his Spirit is our source, our source of faith and love and joy and comfort and refreshing. For Philemon, all again is about to be put to the test. And so too, you and I, every week, and every year, and every month, that we have varying degrees of trials, but they all come, and all of them are going to reflect who we are on the inside when our faith is put to the test. So forgiving others as Christ forgave you, focus on others, not yourself, and encouraging the faithful. He's encouraging a man who's walking faithful to remain faithful. Sometimes, can I encourage you? Pray for people who are doing well. Amen? Amen? There's a tendency to pray only for those, and pray for them too, of course, but to pray only for those who are struggling. Sometimes I love to just take the directory and go through and just pray for people that I just know are doing awesome. And I love to just pray, Lord, can help them continue to be steadfast with you. Fill them again with your Holy Spirit. Just refresh them, Lord. Help them to finish strong in what you've called them to do and remain faithful. And again, we pray for everyone, but I think it's great to pray for those who are doing well. Now, point number three. Forgiving others as Christ forgave us. The example we see in the Apostle Paul, the picture of Christ, He intercedes on behalf of the repentant. Now look what he says. Therefore, okay, in light of the fact in light of the fact that you have great joy and consolation and love, and you have a heart for the saints, and you've been, you've been refreshing them, and you, know, you have a powerful testimony, and your faith is strong, and you have love toward the Lord and toward all the saints, in light of all that, get ready. Therefore, in light of everything I've just said, all the love you've shown, the testimony that you have, he's now going to exhort him to have that same attitude and heart in the face of some very difficult circumstances, to forgive and show love toward one who has wronged him greatly. Look what it says. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. You know what? God doesn't want us to do anything because he twisted our arm. You know what? Our God has given us free will because without free will there can be no love we'd just be a bunch of robots right but because he's given us free will he wants us to get to know him and to choose to love. now he loved us first that's the only way we can love him but the point is he doesn't force his love on us he wants us to get to know him and then to respond to his love by loving him back i used to say to youth group all the time imagine you know you you all want to be married mostly one day and we we'll talk to the teenagers. Now imagine if you had two choices. You know, if you could have someone hit over the head with a mallet and then inoculated with a shot and then they automatically were forced to just love you. Some of the guys are like, yeah, that'd be pretty good. I, I wouldn't mind that. I'd say to those guys, i mean, it may be the only way anyone's ever going to, but no. But, or... Would you rather have someone get to know you, spend time with you? Know, know even some of the struggles you've had and then choose to love you anyway and then commit their life to you. You know what? That's what the Lord wants from us because you know what? we look at Him, He's done nothing wrong. He's perfect. And you know what? To know Him is to love Him. Amen? And the better you lo- know Him, the more you're going to love Him. And so we see here that he says, you know what, I could just command you. I, you know, I'm Apostle Paul, I led you to the Lord. I could just say, bro, forgive him. That's it, forgive him. You know what, he wants it to be a want to, not a have to. And, I, and, and as Pastor Bill said, we don't want you to do anything here that you feel like you have to do. Please don't, really. We'd rather have you just come and sit and be fed and be loved on, and that's fine. Because you know what, if you're going to do it, do it for the Lord and do it because he's called you to, not because somebody... You know, put a flyer in the bulletin. Do it because you're responding to the Holy Spirit. Amen? And this is the heart that he has. Though I could command you, I could tell you that you have to, you know, you have to forgive this brother. You have to respond. But notice, I want you to see, there are going to be five things that he says when he makes these appeals on behalf of Onesimus. The first thing, the first appeal that he has to Philemon is his reputation. You know, therefore, in light of your reputation, everybody is going to be watching. That's the first thing. And number two, yet for, the, for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. The second one is, you know what, I want you to respond out of Christian love. Respond because you know that your reputation's on the line. The cause of Christ is going to be harmed if you don't do it. But also do it just out of love for a brother in Christ. Just do it because you love him. You know what? Agape love is esteeming someone outside of yourself greater than yourself. That's agape. You are greater than me. You are more important than me. It's not about me. It's about you. By the way, I found something yesterday. It's kind of cool. Because you know the thing called YouTube? You ever heard of this? Right? And it's all about you. So There's another a one now called GodTube. And it's got like thousands. Now, some we don't agree with all of them, but I went on there yesterday, and I mean, I was blessed testimonies of teenagers who got saved all kinds of videos really cool god too but so the point i'm making is they out of christian love you know respond because you love the lord and because he's indwelling you with his spirit and just say you know what it doesn't matter what you've done in the past i'm going to forgive you the way that christ has forgiven me you be motivated by love not because you're commanded to do it guys here's the truth if you walk in the fullness of the holy spirit you don't need the ten commandments oh, what did, what did you just say You know what? When you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you're going to want to obey God in every aspect of life, even things that aren't written down in black and white. The Lord will just move by His Holy Spirit and say, you know, you shouldn't be watching that. You know, that's probably not something that's good for you. You know what? Turn that off and spend some time with me. You know, walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and walk in obedience to Him. And so he says there, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. Do it because you love the Lord and, and your love for the saints. I told you before that your love is well known. May you do it not because you're commanded, but because the Lord has moved upon your heart. It says, being such a one as Paul, the aged, Paul calls himself an old man. And he basically says to him, You know what? I'm a man, and he's a man who's mature in his faith, he's worthy of respect but he's encouraging him not to just do it because paul's his elder but because of the love of christ and now also a prisoner of jesus christ now why is he telling him this again i just told you he doesn't belabor that point and he really doesn't you know what i believe he's telling him he's telling him that the price you're gonna have to pay pay to obey isn't much compared to the price some people have to pay to obey how many of you guys have been beaten because you're a christian anybody been thrown in prison threatened with death right but that's what happens with our gfa missionaries every week and the difference is that we our obedience to the lord comes with a much lower cost most often than their obedience to the lord and the point he's making here is you know what i'm an aged man i've been walking with the lord a long time i'm sitting in prison why because i obeyed god you know what philemon when you obey the lord and what i'm asking you to do it's not going to come with that kind of a cost you're not going to be thrown in prison you should obey even if you were going to be but it's not going to come with that great of a cost verse 10 i appeal to you for my son onesimus there's the name he took this long to write it down onesimus now some of you have an onesimus somebody says their name and you go ah Right? I'm going to go a little over today because we have long announcements. Just so get ready. All right. But here's the point. I have to confess. There are a few names. If I hear their name, I kind of grit my teeth. Truth. Anybody else besides me? You hear that person's name and you go, oh. Are they still alive? Stop <laughs> Died or moved away or something, you know. And this is Onesimus. Oh, that's the guy who ran away and stole my stuff when he left, and caused upheaval with all the other slaves that were here. And you know what? Here's the problem. If he forgives Onesimus when he comes back, it could cause turmoil with all the other slaves who, who, who are his labor force because they'd all say, "Well, if I run away and just come back and say I became a Christian, I won't have any problems. So maybe I should run away too." Uh uh-oh, this could cost me something to forgive this man, but yet he's telling him to do it out of love for the Lord. I believe, again, it hit him hard to even hear this guy's name, the name of a man, but he says, the third appeal, he says, Onesimus, let me tell you why I want you to forgive him. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. When he left He was just not a believer. He came here. I introduced him to Christ. He's my son in the faith, just like you're my son in the faith. So that makes him your brother. Oh, not that guy. I don't want him to be my brother. 72nd cousin, twice removed, living on the other side of the country, maybe. But not my brother. And you know what? This is the sign of somebody who's truly had their heart gripped by God. We stop holding grudges no matter what. We forgive, and forgiveness hurts sometimes. It's hard to do sometimes. Forgive others as Christ forgave you. That rebellious, thieving, scoundrel is now son, now brother. Onesimus' new position in Christ. Notice, though, it didn't take away the debt. He still had to go back and make things right, didn't he? Look what it says in verse 11. It says, whom I have begotten in my chains, so he led him to the Lord in prison who once was unprofitable for you, but now is profitable to you and to me. You know what's interesting? The name Onesimus means profitable. So he, his name was profitable, but he was unprofitable. Now he got saved and he is profitable. So he used to be not living up to his name. Now he got saved and he's living up to his name. And praise God for his grace that he shows us this kind of patience. Onesimus is now profitable. He's been saved. And so he's telling him, there's another reason. Here's my third appeal. The third reason why you should forgive him. He's born again. He's your brother in Christ. Verse 12. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. He's letting him know I'm sending him back. And when I send him back... Know that it's my heart for you to forgive him. And what he's really basically saying to him is, you've got my heart in your hands, Philemon. If you forgive him, you're blessing me. If you don't forgive him, you're crushing my heart. Verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. You know, I wanted him to stay, but I knew it wasn't right because he belongs to you. And so I sent him back. You know, Paul could have written a letter and said, oh, by the way, one of your runaway slaves is here, and I'm keeping him. And I don't think Philemon would have flinched. Okay. But that wasn't the heart of Paul. He wanted this man to go back and make things right. And that's what we need to do. We've been born again. We're going to heaven. But we still need to go back and make things right. Verse 14. Without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed may not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Yet again, he doesn't want him to do anything that he's commanded to do that he doesn't want to do. You know what? The Lord, again, is the same way with us. He wants us to serve him and worship him from a heart of love, not one of compulsion. Verse 15. For perhaps he departed for, a while, for this purpose that you might receive him forever. You know what he sees here? He also points out to the fact that maybe, and he doesn't have to say maybe, this was God's plan all along. He ran away, but God wasn't through with him. Maybe some of you have sons and daughters who've fled the the coop right now. Family members just have walked away. You know what? God is still faithful. And God knows exactly where they are. And this guy ran away and he ran right into the apostle Paul. And I like that. And he comes back saved. And so he's saying, you know what? You were mad when he ran away. And yeah, he stole some of your stuff. But you know what? This is all part of God's plan. It could have been the very reason he ran away is so he would meet me and he would come to know the Lord. He would find out that going out into the free world wasn't everything he was looking for. He didn't find what he was looking for in the world. He went out there thinking, if I wasn't a slave, then I'd be happy. If I was rich, then I'd be happy. If I had all the things the world has to offer, then I'd be happy. And then you get it all and you're not happy because you can't have joy apart from the Lord. Amen. And he got, gets out there and realizes it, runs into Paul, and now he has joy joy he departed for this very purpose his actions were sinful but like a lot of us it was in his sin that he saw his need for a savior verse 16 no longer as a slave but more than a slave a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in flesh and in the lord you, you lost a slave and you got a brother back A slave left, a brother returned. You know what? Maybe there's somebody you've had this antagonistic relationship with for years, and you lost an enemy, and maybe you're going to win back a brother if you'll have a heart of forgiveness. Amen? Make the first call. Isn't that hard? You wait for them to call, aren't you? When they call, maybe I'll pick up the phone, but I'm I'm not calling them. Right? Pride. We need to stop. So, He said, because of your reputation for the sake of Christian love, because he's now a brother in Christ, he has value to you. It was all part of God's plan. Receive him back. Receive him back. Then he says, if then you count me as a partner. The last point. He's willing to pay the price to bring restoration and forgiveness. He says, then if you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. This is exactly what Jesus does for us. We will be received by the Father in the way the Son is received by the Father. He says, you receive him the way you would receive me. When Onesimus comes back, don't see him when you see him. See me. See your brother. See the one who led you to the Lord. Don't look at him and remember all the bad things he's done. Remember me and how I've ministered to you. That's exactly what happens when we will stand before Almighty God one day. He will see us through the Son and in the Son. Then it says, but if anything is wrong to you or he owes you anything, put it on my account. Here's two options. Receive him like you would receive me, clothed in righteousness, as we would see with Christ. Or if he owes you something, bill me. Isn't that what the Lord does? You know what? When he comes, just see him the way you see me. And if he owes you anything, put it on my tab. I'll pay it. And guys, we owed everything. And he paid the price in Full. What a great and awesome God. Closing, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. You know, he, he wants to make a note here because Paul had a hard time writing as he got older. But this was so important to him that he wrote it with his own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you, that you owe me even your own self besides. Now, this is kind of harsh. <laughs> now, if he owes you anything, put it on my tab. But uh, who led you to the Lord? Who was... Okay, yeah, I remember when I met you finally. Yeah, not so much, right? And, you know, here you are now, and he's kind of, you know, kind of reminding him a little bit about the fact that grace does indeed have a price. He reminds him that he shared the gospel with him. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. He says, you know what, let me get word back and be refreshed to hear how you and Onesimus have been restored to fellowship, how you've entered into a loving relationship, you've received him back as a brother. That will refresh my soul more than anything. Paul is refreshed when he sees restoration. And you know what, that's exactly what refreshes our Savior. When he sees sinful man being restored back to holy God, that's why he came, amen? Amen. And it blesses his heart to see it. Verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. You know what's interesting here? He lets him know, "Uh, by the way, I will see you again. So, how you treat Onesimus is probably going to come up, because I'm going to be back. You know what? We're going to see our Savior again we're gonna see the lord we're gonna see him face to face and we will be accountable for what we've done amen? amen and so when he's telling them hey this isn't just happening in the week. i'll be back and when i come i'd love to hear all about how you and onesimus are doing oh okay you hey, imagine the lord called you up now those three people that you go ah, i'll be there in about a week and i just want to see how you guys are doing you know, on Judgment Day, I'm going to call you guys up together. And I'm just going to see how you go. Oh, I better get that right. Amen? <laughs> then he says, Epaphras, and now he closes. He closes. And he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. He was the, originally the pastor in Colossae, who's no longer there. As do Mark, Art, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, he reminds them, and we won't go into each of these people because we've gone a little long, but Demas, remember back in Second Timothy, had walked away from the Lord. And this letter was written not long before that, and he was still walking with God. And so you see a name here of a guy who was walking with the Lord, but it wasn't much later he would walk away from the Lord. And then he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know what? It was Christ that said, Charge my account. Receive them as you would receive me and that's the exact same heart that we see here in the apostle paul that's why i believe he is a clear picture of the lord so we saw three people in this short letter this morning paul shows us the need for intercession on behalf of those who are who need restoration you might look and see two people who've been struggling with each other for a long time might have two family members maybe god's going to move on your heart to step in and encourage them and bring them together with the love of christ Philemon teaches us the importance of forgiving people even when it's hard to forgive them. Forgive them anyway, forgive them as Christ forgave you. And Onesimus is a picture of those of us, which is all of us, who need to be forgiven. A picture of true repentance. Not just, well, I I prayed the prayer, now I'm going to run in the opposite direction. He went back and did business with the one whom he had stolen from and run away from. And that's exactly what we need to do as well. So in closing, forgiving others as Christ forgave you, Focus on others, not yourself. That's what we saw Paul doing. Encourage those who are faithful. Intercede on behalf of the repentant and be willing to pay the price to bring about restoration and forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. And Lord, we do pray, Father, no doubt in a room with this many people. We all, we, many of us, maybe most of us, have an onisimus or two in our life. Some people that would, if we hear their name, are, we shudder. And Father, I pray that you would, that Lord, we would be broken of ourselves, that we would put away all of our pride and Lord, that we would reach out to people in love. So Lord, we ask that you would just by your spirit, refresh us, fill us to overflowing less of us and more of you. And Lord, we do pray, give us a heart of forgiveness, help us to forgive others in the unmatchless way you've forgiven us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.